Hello, and welcome to The A-List, the podcast that asks the world's top advertising professionals how they got started in the business. I'm Tom Chrisman. I'm executive creative director at Catch and Release and one of the ad nerds at AdHouse, where Zoom classes start really soon. Get registered at adhousenyc.com. Today, you'll hear my conversation with Mike Mannheimer, chief marketing officer at postscript.io. Mike ditched his pre-law plan to join a software startup where he learned every aspect of marketing before a random meeting on an elevator led to his CMO job at SMS company Postscript. If you want to learn how to craft an SMS campaign like Mr. Beast, keep listening because this is The A-List and this is Mike Mannheimer. So, uh, Mike, what, where did where did Mike grow up? I was actually born in West Virginia. Yeah, a, a place not many people are, are are born. It's uncommon. So I was born in West Virginia and I grew up in the suburbs of um, Washington, D.C. And um, both of my, my parents worked for the federal government. And so grew up in the Northern Virginia area, um, ended up moving around um right before high school to from northern virginia to richmond virginia which even though they're only an hour and a half apart they feel like you're going into a different world one of the one of the benefits of growing up in that area though was um very entertaining and educational field trips you know there's all the the battlegrounds all of the early settlements, pretty cool when you can be on a field trip and like literally pick up an old bullet or some sort of artifact from that time. Then was in Richmond for a while. And um, as people who have parents that are in the federal government know well, you have to move a lot. And so right when I was um, about to enter my junior year of high school, my family moved to Phoenix, Arizona where I had to um, start all over again, but it turned out to be an amazing move. I still live in Phoenix um, today. So that's such a hard time to move. Oh, you got so many friends, your life, you're thinking about where you're going to go to college, what you're going to do. You want to have that last senioritis year and you had to go through all that. That that must have been hard. Yeah, I was all set up. It was a complete out of left field um, decision. Um, my My dad had a few options for his career. What did he do? Sorry. uh, He worked for the Department of Agriculture. Every, I think, seven years or so, they had to conduct a a census of agriculture in the United States where they literally had to count every head of cattle, every chicken, every crop in the United States to help set commodity prices. My dad always used to joke that he counted cows for a living. And, (laughs) you know, it was tough for sure. I, I, uh, went through a natural, you know, rebellion phase, I think, like most kids do in those types of scenarios. And, and, um, yeah. you know, but, but I found my way and, and, um, I, I loved being in, in Phoenix and Arizona, um, ever since I went to college out here. And so now I've been out here for 19 years now. And when you're growing up, what did you want to be? What did you think you were going to be? I always kind of thought that I would be a lawyer that I'd go to law school and, um, I loved to, debate and have conversation and and my parents would say I'd love to argue with them just the the way that you know ideas get communicated and your ability to use words and logic in a way to persuade people and then also I just really wanted to find a, a, a profession where 
I felt like I would get paid a lot of money. That was my criteria. And uh, I kind of pursued that when I went to college, I ended up getting a degree in critical theory and rhetoric. And I realized I just could not bear to go to school more. And so I there I was graduating from college with a degree that was like literally meant to be a stepping stone to something else. But I was determined to take what I had learned and find a way to to go work because I just did not want to be in school anymore. And this was and he, four years at ASU, you said? Yeah, I went my first year to the University of Arizona in Tucson and then finished out the last three at ASU, which is a sacrilegious thing to do if you live in Arizona. But yeah. Um, the angel on one shoulder, devil on the other, devil one is what you're <laughs> <Yeah>. telling me. <laughs> always, always. That's a, that. That's a, a thematic element to I think my life in general. So yeah, double the devil one uh, for, for sure. Um, yeah, graduated after four years and um, wanted to go find my way in the world. And at this time, it was right in the the heart of the great financial crisis where. There was no no good work anywhere, and yeah. uh, I still said, you know, to hell with it, and you know, started trying to find um, find a way to, to to build a career, and how, um, I guess what, got what, really lucky along the way. What's the first step to that? Like, how do you even choose if you don't have you don't have a major? You're sort of like it's just what is available. What is uh, what yeah? Are doing, I, what other people are doing? I used, I think, a, you know, a, a quantity over quality type of approach. Yeah. I applied to literally every single job that was available without any rhyme or reason. Um, I knew that I would prefer to go be either in a, a fast paced, like high growth sort of environment um, over over something that was a little more traditional. Um, yeah. And actually the, the way that that whole spray and pray resume uh, search ended up ended up going was I had two, um, two entry-level positions on the table. One of them was working for a very large insurance company to learn to be a claims adjuster. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then the other one was to join a, eight person technology company that was being bootstrapped and had no revenue and basically do whatever job they needed me to do. And, um, at the time I got some, some good advice, um, from my, my dad who had been in this like very stable government careers entire, his entire life. Uh, and his advice was, was, um, if you're interested in the early stage startup thing, then there's literally never going to be a better time to go try that than right now. You have absolutely nothing to lose. Mm -hmm. So if you feel like you're going to need to get that out of your system before you go, you know, end up having like a, a quote unquote adult job like everyone else, well, go do that now when it doesn't matter if you fail or whatever. Yes. And um, I joined that company and besides choosing to marry my wife, Mm -hmm. I think this decision was probably the most consequential decision I had made up to that point. Your dad gave you some great advice. I mean, that, that is true. You can't, you can't really mess up that first job. Like I probably should have been a lot more scared than I was, but I was, you know, a young kid who thought he knew everything. Right. And, uh, I didn't want to go work somewhere where I 
would simply be like running someone else's playbook or doing their task list. I really wanted to feel like how I was spending my time was having an impact on the actual outcome of the business. I didn't want to just be like a cog in a machine. Yeah. And um, so I decided, you know, naively, naively confident that um, I needed to go to a place where my voice would be heard because I'm going to make a really big impact on whatever organization will will let me, you know, put my hands on the steering wheel. And so I chose this early stage startup and that's where I learned the software business. I learned the, the discipline of marketing. Um, I learned how to grow a company from hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue to, to tens of millions of dollars in recurring revenue. And it was really like a mini MBA and I have done only software marketing as my career ever since. I'm now I've never done anything else. I've only been a software marketer and it was all because of that one, you know, simple decision, um, responding to a Craigslist ad, if you can believe that. Oh, it was um, on Craigslist. And what was it for? Yeah. What was what did the company do? Can you talk about who it was? Yeah, yeah. I know you said they didn't know what they were doing, but like nobody knows what they're doing at that stage, right? Like you're kind of right. looking for product market fit. You're looking for like like, hey, what, what how is it? What do people want? You don't even really know. You're just kind of making it up. Yeah, classic entrepreneur story. The company was actually called WebPT. Still a company. They built an electronic medical record software for the physical therapy and occupational therapy world. And um, it was built by a, a husband and wife team. The wife was a doctor of physical therapy. Um, and the husband was a, a uh, programmer. And he built her a piece of software because she hated using what she was using at her job. And it worked better than what she had before. And they started trying to commercialize it. And so it was truly like a you know, um, you know, necessity is the, is the mother of invention type of moment for them. Yeah. And literally and they, a mom and pop shop, like a hundred, <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. So yeah, there was like, there was definitely that like family dynamic. It, when I, when I was responding to the Craigslist ad and they gave me the address, it was in a place that is in Arizona. It's called the warehouse district. And I went in, um, uh, put it in Google image search and did the street view. And it street viewed the other side of the building, the back side of the building, not the front, yeah. which happened to back up to a junkyard. And so when I clicked the button, it was showing literally a junkyard. And <laughs> I was like, oh man, this is a Craigslist scam. Yeah. Like there's, there's no be, way this is going to be murdered and, and buried in this junkyard. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought. And I, <laughs> but I was in this position where it was either something was going to work out or I was going to take this insurance adjuster job. So I went anyway yep. and found the right side of the building and walked into uh, this, uh, you know, an eight person company with a husband and wife leading the, leading the teams. And um, there literally could not be a, a better landing spot for me than that. I, I often reflect back on just how, um, how lucky I was to respond to that. Um, to that ad. And actually the guy who hired me is um, still a guy who I talked to. And when I got my first uh, CMO job, he dug up the voicemail that I left him responding to the Craigslist ad and sent it to me. And so I still have that little 
memento of me, like, you know, a day out of college being like, I'd like to apply for your customer service position. And um, it was really funny to listen to that and reflect on it. What right? what advice do you give to somebody walking into a company for the first time right out of college? Yeah, I remember being struck by this feeling. I realized after like a week or two, no one else, you know, there were people with, you know, 30-year careers under their belt. There were people who were just getting started like me. Nobody knew the answers to anything. Everybody was just doing the best job that they could with the information that they had in front of them. And if that's what the job is, which I mean, if you boil down like what it means to be working and problem solving is basically that, um, then you get to this place where you could say like, well, am I as good of a critical thinker as the people who I'm around? And if I can do that right, then I can contribute in just as meaningful a way as all of these other folks. And I don't need to be worried about what I don't know necessarily, because it's very clear that none of these people know exactly what they're doing. They're just making decisions with slightly more confidence because they have more pattern recognition. Yeah. But I remember like calling my dad after a few weeks and being like, like gut check me here. Like my sense is that none of, no one has the answer somewhere. And he's like, no, like everyone's just trying their best. Yeah. And when I, when I finally, when I came to that realization, I felt like it allowed me to get, uh, to, to start focusing on how to make an impact instead of worrying about how other people were perceiving me or if I was doing it right or wrong and all of that. So I was able to shed that really quickly. And um, I think that was probably, that's probably a lesson that I think everyone uh, could benefit from this is um, everyone's just doing the best with, with what they have in front of them. And if you can, you know, digest the information that's in front of you and understand the business problems and, use creativity and reason to, to come up with something uh, that that could work then you know you can make just as big of an impact as anyone else and i still feel like there's actually some something really beautiful about folks who are con trying to contribute without all of the baggage that we all get from being a professional person for a really long time and i see it a lot in my teams now where i think sometimes it, it, the best ideas are coming from the folks who have the least experience because they don't know what the the quote-unquote book says mm. and they're able to think outside of the box and come up with with more creative ideas and i think um it's a shame that a lot of people don't feel the you know permission whether it's from they don't feel the permission from the people around them whether it's not you know emotional psychological safety or they don't feel permission from themselves because they haven't realized that no one knows what they're doing. Yeah. But when you miss out on those viewpoints, it's a real shame because a lot of people who I think are the, the, the freest thinkers, especially in a business context are people who have the least, um, the least experience, the least baggage because they're not trying to like fit into some framework that that's being imposed on them. They're just a raw solving problems as yeah. a person seeing them for the first time. And, and that's where I think a lot of um, really cool, creative um, problem solving can happen. There's a great book from like the thirties or something, but it's called mm -hmm. Obvious Atoms. And it's about um, a salesperson. It's It was a book for salespeople back in the thirties and it's written that way. <laughs> 
But if you can get past that, it's about this guy who just comes up with obvious answers. He's like, well, that's better because mm-hmm. it's on the corner. Like there, people are like, this guy's a genius, but really he's just not trying to impress anybody. Uh, sometimes yeah. the, the answer is very obvious and simple, but there's no money in obvious answers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You need to build a 10 step framework that you can package up and sell to somebody. To be that's able right. To- it's a shame that the way that we work tends to, you know, tends to take away some of that connection to people's intuition and instincts. That's really, I think, and, you know, especially in the in the domain of marketing, I think the, the more connected you can be to your instincts and what it means to be a person like this is all about, you know, people connecting with other people in a way that, you know, drives a good outcome. You have to stay, try to stay connected to your intuition as much as you possibly can. Yeah. So you, so it can, what, whatever you're doing can resonate at, at a meaningful level. And so, so you, you found product mark not product marketing, but that you found yeah I joined yeah it just started software into, marketing I was yeah, trying software to get. marketing yep and then you know in there kind of just did every little thing that needed to be done the first you know the first step was like should we run ads and I was like well let's go find out so I started learning how to how to do the digital side of things and once we figured that out you know we hired someone to do that and then started getting into the product marketing side of things you know like where can we you know bring more products to market commercialize more of our of our technology you know did the same thing kind of found my way around that and then moved on to the next phase and the next phase and, and eventually had you know inadvertently just because i was trying to be curious and solve problems um done a little bit of all of the necessary disciplines in the software marketing world and um that gave me a really like well-rounded background and and you know i i just continued continued on from there had an interest in learning to lead teams which which uh is you know the hardest and most rewarding thing and uh, in, in being uh, i think a, 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 a in leadership mm-hmm. um so started adding that to my repertoire and and just kept going from there and, and doing what what felt right and what i felt like the next logical challenge and yeah um yeah and been, been now ever since and now you're at postscript io tell me about postscript io how did you how did you find this company and and why why did yeah. you go there yeah this is a, a kind of an interesting story too so um i was working uh, at a different software company and um was writing down in the the elevator to the coffee shop on the bottom floor to go get a coffee and uh there was this guy in the elevator who I don't know how to explain, but like, we just kind of like looked at each other and had that feeling that like we should introduce ourselves because like, maybe we could be friends. I don't know how to explain why that happened, but it did. And so we got a copy and um, his name was Colin and we would periodically see each other in the lobby or the elevators. We kind of just like made acquaintances through that. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, one day Colin wasn't in the elevator anymore. I didn't know where he went. Um, and so I hit him up on LinkedIn and I was like, well, hey, Colin, like, where are you? Like, did you leave the company? And he said, actually, me and my brother and our best friend are in San Francisco. We joined Y Combinator. We are founding a company. I'll tell you all about it in a few weeks when we get back. So they went to this incubator. They built the company. They raised some money. And I had a dinner with them uh, when they got back and they tried to recruit me to be the 
first employee or second employee at that time, run marketing for them. And at the time, it was just um, too early uh, for me. But I loved the idea. And we stayed connected. And eventually, the stars aligned. And, and now I work. That company ended up being Postscript, which is the leading SMS software platform for Shopify stores. We serve about 9,000 uh, Shopify stores and, and allow them to text message their customers to drive high uh, high ROI, drive sales, drive deep relationships with their customers. And all of that came from, from or the opportunity to, to join this company as, as a, uh, a marketing leader came from this random you know, relationship that uh, I, I built with with this guy Colin riding the elevators in our in our corporate tower, and so um, it's funny how things like that happen. But I always, you know, think about you know your career is really just like a set of opportunities, and like the the key difference on whether you're an insurance adjuster or whether you're you know doing you know start uh, being a CMO at a, at a, at a startup, um, I think really just has to do with, can you tell which opportunities are which and be open to exploring them? Mm-hmm. And in this case, you know, because of the, the relationship that I had with Colin, I was open to exploring it and, uh, you know, joined the company. It's been an amazing ride and we still have a lot more to do, but, um, yeah, I'm really, really excited about the company, and it's really, really fun to serve uh, brands that are, you know, entrepreneurs, operators who are building, you know, the next wave of of amazing, durable brands from scratch. Yeah. Um, very, very cool to partner with those types of folks. Yeah. So SMS, huh? Like, yeah. Well, it feels like such an old technology. Uh, it yeah. feels like, you know, email marketing or direct mail. What What is it about SMS that's different and how like a lot of our listeners are are young people who want to get in advertising, want to make creative mm-hmm. things, want to do things for their book. I see a lot of books that have like apps. This app will control your cat and this app will the apps that will yeah. never work, you know, but I, <laughs> I hardly ever see a really good SMS campaign in somebody's book. What 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 does it take to make a really good SMS idea. Yeah. SMS is a, it's a challenging channel, which is why I think it's taken this long for marketers to really wrap their arms around it. There's first off, most of the text message marketing that you get is not good. And so people's examples that they have about whether or not they should test this channel for their brand, when they look in their messaging app and they see, you know, we're coming up on, on, a, on another se- a, a political season, you're going to get 8 billion unsolicited political text messages. And that, that's what yep. people have in their head. And so they think, well, why, why would I do something like that to my customers? Like, that's not good. Well, to do SMS marketing right, it has to be compliant. It has to be completely opt-in, double opt-in preferably where someone's giving you their number and you're asking them to reconfirm their subscription so that they really are saying that they want to be on so this channel. So it's not just like an ex-boyfriend giving your number to some, you know. Exactly. Exactly. Control you. Yeah. 100%. And I think that um, because there's the regulatory components and the compliance component, and then there also is this um, intimacy component where you know that your brand messages 
are going to be nested in between someone's message from their significant other, maybe their best friend, maybe their grandma, who knows, um, the bar uh, that you have to jump over to earn the right to deliver a marketing message to somebody in that inbox is very, very high. And I think a lot of marketers have looked at it and said, that seems really hard. It's not clear to me how I would use this. I'm scared of the regulatory and compliance related stuff. So I'm actually just going to put this on ice and I'm going to think about it. Hmm. And what I would say to them is um, all of those things are true. It is tough. It does take a, a much more nuanced approach, but um, you get the immediacy of being able to make sure your message is cutting through the noise where everyone who's doing email marketing right now, for example, it knows that their their messages are going into the promotional folder. Maybe one out of every 100 of them are getting read. This is why you have people who email you three times a day because they're just playing a quantity game. Whereas if someone wants to have a text message relationship with you, one, they're going to read the text. Two, once you've jumped over the bar where they're okay with getting texts from you, that customer is likely to be one of your best customers or your VIP list customers, people you can count on to buy from you again and again and again. These are the folks who you want to have the most direct relationship with possible. Mm -hmm. And so for the people where the channel fits what they want to get from your brand, then text messaging can be a complete unlock to your best customer relationship. And that, in my opinion, is worth finding out. And at, at minimum, doing some experimentation with the channel to discover if it's a good fit for your audience. And mm -hmm. like I said, 9,000 brands are using Postscript right now to text their customers. Many, many more in e-com are doing, are, are texting their customers as well. And what we found is that um, people think that their customers don't want to hear from them via text. And that just couldn't be further from the truth. If, if you do the right thing on the channel and you add value to your customer, uh, especially by blending contextual data and lifecycle data. So you're hitting them with the right message at the right time. Text mm -hmm. messaging can actually lead to really magical interactions with your customers um, that they, me, they come back for. Tell, tell me a few uh, like high, greatest hits. Yeah. I mean, well, there's so everyone always thinks about these like political texts that they get that they didn't ask for or spam texts. And so they're, yeah. They tend to just view SMS as this like nasty thing. But if you turn it on its head and you think about what are the interactions that I would most like to have from a brand via text, mm. there's tons. The first one is actually super obvious, which is the text message that we all get that tells us the thing that we bought is about to be on our doorstep in, in one hour mm -hmm. is probably the best text you could get all day long. Yeah. That's an amazing text. These transactional what to expect um, from your deliveries and um, also the ongoing texts that come after that. So, you know, imagine you get a package, let's say it's clothes and the clothes need to be cared for in a particular way. Mm. That's a really good thing to do over text. You know, you, you tell somebody, you know, Hey Tom saw you bought, you know, this cardigan. I hope you love it. Um, here are the the best ways that you can care for this item at home. Do this, don't do that. Here's um, how to you know store it. Here's how to make sure that you're not you know ruining the item. That's complete value that you're delivering to your customer via SMS, which is 
um, the best way to get them the information. So when you give them something that they actually want through text, then all of a sudden the customer has this moment where they go, I'm really glad that I got this text because I really wanted this information right now. Yeah. Um, another another example of this would be um, we have plenty of brands that make you know kitchen appliances. They make uh, cookware, pans, and um, a lot of the brands have success by uh, helping their customers find recipes for dinners or and for particular um, you know uh, seasons when they when maybe they send out a text that's like here's how here's five recipes to make like the perfect Thanksgiving dinner with the stuff that you bought. What happens in in those moments is not only is that interesting to the person because it's related to the use case about why they they bought your item, mm-hmm. but what also happens that I think people don't give SMS enough credit for is SMS is one of the only channels that is automatically two-way from the get-go. And that unlocks all sorts of opportunities as well. We have a bunch of brands that send recipe uh, content out to their customers. And guess what? The customers cook it, they take a picture of it, and they send it back to the brand. Wow. And that leads to incredibly amazing brand interactions where brand one, they got UGC from their text messaging. Yeah. So they have this user-generated content that they can say, hey, look what Sally in New York made with with our hands, knives, whatever it might be. Yeah. And then that drives community engagement with this idea of a recipe program. People submit new recipes, riffs on the recipes. And all of a sudden, you have this community where the way that the community is getting their information back to the brand is via the SMS channel. Text messaging is fundamentally two-way. Every time you message someone, they have the opportunity to message back. And Mm. when you give them something that they are excited about, they tend to respond. And we've also found this is kind of one of those obvious intuitive insights when you really think about it. But people who respond to brands who have a two-way interaction with the brand who's texting them, they spend four times as much with that brand over their entire life cycle than someone who doesn't engage with the brand. And so we always tell people when they're just sending 20% off coupons all day long, we're like, well, why don't you try to send something that would solicit a response? Yeah. And because once you create that pathway in your customer's brain where they're like, I text brand A back and forth and they've delivered me like an interesting value added interaction, then the level at which you can come top of mind when they're in a buying decision yeah. is much more likely. They buy way more stuff yeah. because they have a relationship with your brand that they didn't have before. Customers can become like field agents. Like if you say mm-hmm. like, if you see the shelves are empty of our stuff at Walmart, take a picture, tell us where you are. And the amount of product feedback that comes to our customers via text is unbelievable. So people will say things like, Hey, I see you have this trifold wallet in black leather only, but I would really like it in brown. And if you had brown, I would buy it. Um, one, you got product information. Two, if you were really smart, you might try to throw up a pre-sale and see if you can get a hundred people to, to pre-order a brown trifold wallet and then go produce it. And that way you're not only giving back to the community, but you're also getting ideas on the fly of what your next SKU should be. Yeah, it generates more sales. It also makes your your product uh, development, 
your digital product and your actual product uh, more fruitful. And um, the people who you have conversations with are more likely to tell their friends about your brand and service via word of mouth, which is everyone's preferred way of discovering new new brands and products in the first place. So yeah, there's there's a lot. Um, you know, I always when people are asking me about should I do asking that should I not, they're they're, they're allies asking, you know, is is the is it worth the trouble? Is the juice worth the squeeze? And I would say that if you have the the time and the passion and you find a good partner, like a, like a company like Postscript who wants to invest in discovering new strategy and new best practices to help make it easy for, for our customers. If you can find that, then I think it's absolutely worth it. You can generate really, really strong business results and also um, build really great relationships with your customers, which is ultimately what we're all, what we're all here to do. If you, if you don't have a, a strong direct relationship with your customers, then like, you know, what are we doing? Talk about Mr. Beast. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Beast. Um, if you don't know Mr. Beast, then you must not be on YouTube because he's the, one of the top creators on, on YouTube has billions and billions of views. And he recently released a chocolate bar under the brand name Feastables and started selling Mr. Beast branded uh, chocolate. And uh, this kind of went along with his kind of shtick as being, like the Willy Wonka of YouTube. So chocolate bars were an obvious choice. He knew his audience was younger, digitally native, probably wasn't going to be living in their in their email inbox all day long. So he launched uh, the product um, with SMS at the center of his launch strategy and started focusing on collecting compliant opt-in numbers where he could you know, deliver Mr. Beast style voice and tone over SMS and sell a bunch of chocolate bars, which he absolutely did right away. And um, Mr. Beast, there's some wisdom in the way that he connects with his customers. Um, one of the, my favorite things that that I saw him do on, on the channel was he sent a image to his, his audience, which was um, an animated GIF of SpongeBob SquarePants opening the door of his pineapple house. And when the door opened, Mr. Beast's face was inside of it. And the text that accompanied it uh, just said, got any beans question mark. No link to a product, no ask to go buy something for 20%, just a completely irreverent piece of humor that he knew would resonate well with his his audience when i saw it i immediately was like that's the most brazen uh risky text i've ever seen anyone send over over postscripts software there's no relevance it, at it, all it's no completely... it, was, it, it was completely just a right. like inside joke meme that he knew his audience would find funny and engage with and he was totally right it got thousands of, of responses of people just like, you know, interacting with the brand. And also what it did, which is like the not obvious part, is it trained the people who were getting texts from Mr. Beast and the Feastables brand to expect Mr. Beast style content from this channel, which made them trust it way more. If you just would have sent a right. 20% coupon every single day they would have been like what's going on like mr beast right. must not be actually running this or is this sold out you know yeah, he's, just, totally. he's just pumping us and dumping us yeah yeah it wouldn't have been authentic and at all and so he really understood that he needed to bring 
the voice tone and content type uh, that he that people expect from him off YouTube onto the SMS channel to really make it authentic. And uh, he, he's done that and they, they sell a lot of chocolate over SMS. And so I think that's just a, a stands in such contrast to brands who are like, oh, I don't know if I could text my customers. Like, would it, would they really like it? And like to that, I always say like, well, like you have a brand, like you have right. a, a company that people engage with for some reason. All you need to do to make this successful is authentically deliver whatever that brand experience is that they're getting off of their you know mobile web browser or desktop and deliver it authentically over SMS. If you do that, people will say, oh, the same reason why I'm choosing to buy this brand's product because you know I you know it, it provides me with some value or some status or I want people to know that I'm the type of person who would buy this particular thing. That same stuff can exist over tech. And if yeah. it does, those same people will really, really enjoy getting it. And then what you've created is a channel where you can send a text to somebody and they're going to read it basically 100% of the time, Yeah. Um, which you can't really get from other marketing channels. And so yeah. I just think people, you know, operate from a place of fear. They uh, tend to overcomplicate things, but well, when it comes to SMS, you just have to be true to what it is that got you here in the first place in a way that is more more authentic maybe than, than you would have to be when you're making an ad set or something like that. But it gives you an opportunity to even go deeper with what makes your brand what it is. And, uh, right. and ask que open-ended questions and, yes. and ask for like, you don't know what you're going to get, which I think is the most exciting part. Uh, yeah. I, I would love to see the responses he got to, uh, gotten beans. <laughs> like that must yeah. be insane. Um, the, uh, the thing, it, it strikes me that like a lot of marketers are probably scared of it because, Hey, if I do an ad, I can say a lot of things went wrong with the ad. Oh, the media company didn't do it. Oh, the, blah, blah. if I do a text message and it bombs, it's all me. Yeah. It's, it's a very stark format, right? It's like, you know, you get a limited amount of characters, you get an image if you want one, but you're, you're having to cat and then you have to capture someone's attention in the, in the, in the inbox with just a, a small little bit of, of the beginning of the text. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, it really uh, forces you to edit down to the most important stuff, but the immediacy of it and the impact of it, when you nail it, makes it, makes it worth experimenting with. I think like one of the things that um, are, customers always say when they're skeptical about texting and they start doing it is they have this very obvious reaction to it where they're like, wow, I sent a text and I instantly saw all those people land on my website from the text. They clicked it. They went right to my website and they bought stuff. And where we, I always tell people like, yeah, at the very, I can, one thing I can guarantee is if you're not texting your customers right now and you start doing it, you will make more money. I've seen it 9,000 times now. There is an opportunity to leverage this channel to drive new incremental sales by engaging with people in a way that they've never seen before. And there's lots of experimentation you have to do to figure out the right way for your brand to, to exist there, but it's worth it. There's there's yeah. there's engagement to have. Is there a, a, a really cheap version for like, say a, uh, a kid that wants to get into advertising and wants to like do a little, 
still text campaign to creative directors all over advertising. I don't know, something like that. Yeah. I mean, there, there's tons of, tons of options out there. I mean, if you're, if you're technologically inclined, you can go to the developer tools, like the companies like Twilio mm-hmm. and set up a, a basic text messaging service yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're, uh, if you're just getting started on your, your e-commerce journey and you're a Shopify merchant trying to yep. get your first sales, mm-hmm. um, you can install PostScript on off the Shopify app store and start a 30 day free trial and, and have some experimentation with it. So oh, we serve cool. the, the biggest parts of the market, but um, we also have a, a 30 day free trial and a, 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 a get it started plan that people can, can start to experiment on their own. And I, I encourage everyone to, really think through where where SMS can fit into their overall marketing strategy because um I, I can tell you right now that you know e- email is is really important but mm-hmm. it's unlikely that it's going to get uh more lucrative as time goes on less people are looking at their email there's more noise there the same thing as the ad uh ad platforms get more and more expensive that can be really challenging for for brands and they're looking for new ways to connect and uh, SMS is a great underutilized option. And uh, I really do think, um, even though the technology has been around for a long time, that over the, uh, you know, over the next few years, over the next, you know, let's call it five to 10 years, we'll see SMS become a, a norm in the, the marketing world. People will, will welcome brands into, into their text message inboxes. And the people who will be generating the best relationships with their customers and generating the most sales will be, be the people who got started collecting compliant uh, 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 phone numbers and building a list of those those phone number connections uh, as early as possible. And so uh, I would tell people, it, it, whenever you start doing texting, you'll wish you had done it earlier. Yeah. And so I encourage people to start thinking about how they can get SMS into their existing marketing strategy as soon as possible. I got to get SMS into the ad house uh, mm-hmm. marketing strategy for sure. How can people reach out to you to uh, get in touch or ask questions or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. So our website is uh, postscript.io. So you can find everything out about Postscript there. Um, my email is, is easy. It's Mike at postscript.io. So if you want to ask me about text messaging or my journey or, or anything under the sun where you can see the uh, got me beans text, just uh, shoot me an email. Uh, I'll do my best to respond. And um, yeah, I awesome. really enjoyed the, enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, Mike. Great to meet you. Yeah. You too, Tom. Thanks for having me. What an episode. Thanks to Mike for his time. And thanks to you for listening. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to figure out how to text you with an offer for the upcoming ad house classes. We've got three classes this session, including one called Pharma for Non-Hacks, where you'll learn all the special pharma rules and then break them. Don't knock pharma. Those people make a lot of money. I'm Tom Chrisman. This has been another A-List. Please subscribe and share this episode with a friend. You know what? Text this episode to a friend and ask them if they've got any beans. See what happens. Let me know. All right. Thanks, everybody.